Money. Money. The game everyone plays, but few win. Extracting the knowledge from the top 1%. Extracting the knowledge. And teaching you the ever-changing rules of play. It's time to level up and take control of the money game. Let's talk money. Big, big, big money. Yes! All right, welcome back to the money game. I got my dude Wyatt Levine on. How you doing, bro? Good, bro. Chilling. Good to have you, man. Long How's... time no see. I know, dude. We we used to get to. A lot of you guys don't know, but Wyatt and I used to actually hang out every day um, at the gym, via work, and then go back to work, then go back to the gym. But uh, now he uh, he's too cool for me. He's leveled up, and uh, he doesn't hang out with the likes of us anymore. Nah, uh, dude. I just. Couldn't hang with you in the gym, so I was kind of glad when <laughs> when you left. No, we never got anything done. We just talked to people the whole time. Um, but yep. for any of you guys who don't know, I know a lot of you guys, Wyatt's going to be new to you, but Wyatt is um, one of my really good buddies, and we've been talking about getting him on for a, lo- for a while now, and I'm stoked to get you on. But this dude is one of the, the all-time greats as far as personal sales and, and as well as building teams and, and organizations at Vivint, which is the company that I work for and started my career at. Um, but we're going to talk all things first. I know for a lot of people though, I know, I know a little bit of your background, but I love your story a little bit where, where you come from and you were kind of like really, a like the first person in your lot, your family to like break into the level that you're in. Right. So walk yeah, me sure. through I mean, a, a little of that. Yeah, just like what was life growing up and what kind of like led you into finding this route of sales and like just getting you started there? Cool, yeah. I mean, I don't think I have uh, the craziest story of, you know, starting from the, the bottom, but uh, definitely didn't didn't start from the middle. <laughs> so my, my dad is, he's a freaking stud, man. Like the hardest working guy I have ever seen. Um, but he was so stubborn, like to a fault. Um, and I might've taken some of those traits with me too, but so stubborn in the sense that he did not want to work for anybody. And so my entire childhood, I just remember watching my dad start and make a little bit of ground and fail and start on multiple different businesses in Mm. different realms. And so, you know, what comes with that is you don't have a lot of uh, security, health benefits, any of those things that come with traditional jobs. Um, and my dad just, he, he refused and he'd go and he'd get another job, you know, to, to make sure that the bills were paid. And, and then he would kind of slowly start phasing towards another, another little side hustle. And, and he would get to a point where he thought he could take that full, full send and then it wouldn't work. And then we would start the cycle over. So long story short, I just, I didn't come from much. Um, but uh, when I, when I found Vivint, that was, it was funny being that the entrepreneur that my dad was, he was in full support of me going and trying it. That's cool. He just didn't think I would make a lot of money. He was like, look, I want you to do this. I want you to go and get your ass kicked, build some character. I just, I want you to have real expectations that you're probably not going to make the money that they're saying that you will, which I mean, looking back was probably the best thing he could have told me to a little, put a little chip on my shoulder. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's uh, definitely come full circle. Dude, 10 years I, later. I want to talk to you a little bit about that because I think, you know, everybody just has past in their story that like leads into the stacking of development skills and personalities and paradigms that, you know, create you. But when you came into Vivint, did you think 
you know, was your vision as big of like, man, I can be that guy that you eventually became, obviously, you know, setting records and being a top rep, like coming in, what was kind of your expectation coming in and how did you view the space and just money in general? No, I definitely didn't think, I mean, actually, this is my 11th year in the industry. I, I had no intentions of being here this long. My thought process was, and I was working in a retail store, um, selling like fitness equipment, treadmills, ellipticals, whatever. Yeah. Um, which came with next to no commission. It was mostly just hourly and little spiffs if you sold like warranties, right? Mm -hmm. So, and I did good with that. And that was the only thing that kind of gave me any evidence that I might be able to translate that into door to door. Um, I thought I knew what sales was, but retail sales and, and direct to consumer is like just a whole different world. Yeah. So I, I told myself I'll probably be decent at it and I'm going to give it a year. I'm going to just, you know, give it my all for a year. If it goes well, I'll do it for the next three. That's how much longer I had in school. Hmm. So that was like no longer than four to five years max. Um, and kind of like maybe my second third year into the industry, I, I had some advice given to me that like really was a paradigm shift yeah. from Cheyenne that my mentor. So he said, I don't care how long you do this job. Um, but you have to pretend like you're going to do this for the next five to 10 years. Cause you can always, always pivot. And this was like the best advice that I ever got in, in wanting to kind of like develop and grow long-term is you can always pivot. If something comes in and intercepts your path, and it's just like, you can't, you can't pass up the opportunity. There's nothing stopping you from just pivoting. But what you can't do is make up for lost time. And you will treat the job a little different. You'll make different decisions. You'll have a different strategy if you know you're going to be here in another five to 10 years as opposed to just year by year. And so that's what I did is I just started pretending like I'm going to be here for 10 years, making the decisions along the way as if I would be, mm. um, which helped me propel. Now that I'm here, I'm yeah. like, I'm so glad I took that advice because otherwise, you know, I'm, I'm still scratching my head 10 years later thinking, how do I get to where I want to be? Dude, I, I, I honestly, I like that a lot. And I, I feel like I've seen just in, in my experience at Vivint, which I haven't even done 10 years yet, but I, I feel like everybody who's at the level you're at or is pushing towards that level, like to really, really get somewhere big, you almost have to have a longer time horizon because you make different decisions in, in the way that you see things, the way you set stuff up, the way you build a foundation, the way you approach training and skill development and your investments and your process. It's, it's so much different than when you're like, I'm going to optimize these next four months. Yep. But for I mean, you, right? Like you, I, you can go half-ass things. Oh Sorry, yeah. And you can short-term investments and a long-term investment. They're just such a different like process and a way that you evaluate something. Um, I think, I don't know if you heard Hermosi says this. It's it's pretty cool. He's just like, hey, if you know, if you can delay gratification for like four months, you can probably make some money. If you can delay it for a year, you can probably make a lot. If you can delay it for ten, you can make a fortune. If you can delay it for a lifetime, then you can make you know a legacy. And it's just, mm -hmm. can you build a deep base? Because you just you look at your process different and you you allow the support. But like we said, it's just you'll you'll never make up for what you didn't prepare for. But you can always pivot into a new opportunity should it come. Always, yeah. Yeah. Well, dude, obviously as you, as you jump in, you very quickly, like when I came into Vivint, you, you were the guy, you're still the guy, but you were like in the undisputed top 10, like seasonal rippers. What, what did you learn in those first couple of years or what mindsets or things were you doing? Cause you were like brand new to space, right? Retail sales, but like you quickly became a, a competitor in sales and you were making kick-ass money. You were dominating the field. What do you think 
like helped you level up that fast? Dude, it's, it's like the most cliche thing, but like, I don't think I understood just your like self expectation and the Mm -hmm. mentality that, that drives the action and drives the results. I, I mean, Vivint's so big, right? Thousands of sales reps, tons of different divisions, different leadership. It's almost like 15 companies within one company. And so I used to just look at the top guys and, and I would think like, yeah, well, they've got, you know, better resources, better training, different, different avenues, different tools. And it, it took me a few years before I, I realized they really don't yeah. like end of the day, it's still me versus me. And, and they're at the same disadvantages of, you know, the mental battle that this is on a personal level that I am. And they're, they have the same ability to just go out and, and pick the brain of, of the top guys. It's funny you bring up Hormozzi. I was just listening to him yesterday in the podcast and he was like, if you want to be great, you just pick the person that's the greatest. Mm-hmm. You copy what they do, but you double their effort. Yeah. Right? He's like, cause you're not as good as them, but if you can do exactly what they're doing and work twice as hard as them, you will be. And that's, that's kind of what I feel like I ended up doing is, is I stopped, you know, well, one comparing myself to my own little circle, I had to expand my competitive circle, as I call it, your competitive circle is everything. I think that's and cool. I just started talking to guys outside of my, my little, you know, niche market. And, um, yeah, it was just, it was literally just a shift in mindset. They, they don't have anything different than I, than I have. Mm. I just, I need to, I need to stop trying to reinvent the wheel, do exactly what the best guys are doing and not expect the same results because they are the best. I got to work twice as hard and do the same things they're doing. I like that. You said that a lot. It, I, I feel like you and I are both, you know, we've been training sales reps for at least a couple of years now, and you've got a couple of teams and dominating, building out leaders it's so funny. Everybody always comes and they're like, dude, I just need the magic words. I need, I need your pitch. I need your exact process. Like tell, tell me everything it is. And it's so funny the, the longer and longer I do this, I remember I even tell my teams the one time I got to come shadow you. And, and that was the year I think you sold 400 in a summer. And you were just like, you had electric. You were like, I remember you had like a hundred month in May or something. And you were, you were all over the place. Everybody yeah. was just Wyatt Levine was the man, which you are. But I remember I got to his shadow and somebody asked me like, dude, how was it? How was it? Like, what did he say? What did he say? What did he say? I'm like, there, I don't think there was anything he said. That's nothing that I don't say or can't say yeah. what I started to realize. And it broke my paradigm just to what you're saying. It, the super like secret power that I started to realize of guys like you and the Tristan, like just unrelentless focus and like tenacity while you're out there, like while the lines in the water. Yeah. I got the exact same experience in trying to talk to, to Tristan. I mean, the year I did 400, he did 600, right? Like I'm, I'm doing numbers that I couldn't even comprehend myself. And then he's doing like 40% more than me. And, and I had to pick his brain, dude. I was like, I'm so dialed, dude. I do not understand how you could be any more dialed than me. What are you doing? And listening to him, like, I was like, that's not even any, I, I think I'm better than that. Like yeah. on my pitch, I think I have, you know, better one-liners and you probably heard me say stuff that you're like, why do you even say like that? But, but what I realized is that just like, he expected more of himself every day than I did. Mm. I expected myself to do three to five. He expected himself to do seven or eight every yeah. day. And like his, his actions and like, I guess just the, the driving force behind him, the energy that he's putting off. Yeah 
is <laughs> is going to be fluid with his expectation and i was like so so then that's the question is how do you like yeah build your expectation from that right and and i think that just comes from like your trajectory so me being able to like double my production and my income year after year just showed me that like this should continue if i keep increasing my input but i i just I feel like too many people hit a plateau of, you know, once you're in sales and you start making decent money, it's really easy, like really, really easy to be complacent. Yeah. Um, so I've, I've built my brand off of NXT, right? Like yeah. next, just what's next. That's the question mm -hmm. is you, you hit a certain level. That's, that's incredible. But what's next, yeah. you have a failure. Cool. What can you learn from it? And what's your next lesson you can learn? I like that. I like that. And I think, it's an interesting thing. I want to hear what what you think on this as you're like increasing that thermostat as well. You know, like as a bunch of people talk about, you know, your internal thermostat that you're talking about. Do you feel like, cause there obviously is a component um, that is like a technical skill set, right? Knowing how to bring people and ask the right questions at the right time. And I found at least personally, when I'm training guys in for you guys listening, uh, why it's 10 X, what, what I am uh, at Vivint. He's, he's much more successful. So he, this is the dude. Um, but at least when I'm training, there's like kind of an ebb and flow of like bringing the mindset with certain things and then bringing technical that sometimes enhances the mindset because of the, the competence that it, like the confidence it breathes from being competent. When you're training people, how much are you attacking just like belief versus some of the, just the technical aspects? So I do a training at Vivint and I do this almost every year. They ask me to do it just um, to kind of put it in perspective for people that aren't in the space. I have, I, t I make a bold statement that I say, if you can sell a hundred accounts, you're already there technical, like technical skills wise mm -hmm. to sell 300. Hmm. And anytime I say that it's, it's to a lot of people like, what? No, how, how would that make any sense? Like, yeah, so for people wise, not again, at Vivid not too, what, what, what income wise, that'd be like 75 to 280, yeah. 75 grand to 280 in a yep. month, in four months. Correct. Yeah. That's, that's a gap that's a of like, gap. Yeah. I would say like of 4,000 sales reps, like well over half of them are going to do a hundred accounts. Mm -hmm. Top 3% are going to do 300, right? Like yeah. we're talking, yeah, about 70 K in income to over a quarter million dollars in income. But, but the, the gap there isn't made up on technicality at mm. all. Like it's, it's strictly, it's mindset, self expectation, time management. Like there is strategy for sure in, you know, who you prospect and present, you know, just being more dialed on your processes, having your non-negotiables and how, how strict you can follow that. All of those things are what makes up that difference. Technical skills, sales skills, dude, if, if anything, I think I got worse at my like technical skills, because for me now it's just a race of time and I know mm. how to be efficient with my time. And some of the things that are technical skills that you would, you know, try to focus on, I would brush over because it, takes too much it was time. just, it takes too much time. Right. And so like my sales process got cut in half, which means technically I'm cutting out some of the technical skills that you learn mm -hmm. to, to learn, you know, to sell this product. So, um, yeah, it's and it's one of those things that I don't know if people will fully ever believe when they hear me say that until they get there. Yeah. And then I have people reach out to me after the fact and they're like, dude, you weren't kid. Like hmm. but I didn't realize that until until I actually got there myself.
That's a really that, that's an interesting concept too. Just I, I, and this is something that I've become more and more aware of, and I feel like anybody who's starting to lead and you know hit bigger numbers or run teams and get systems in place, the the time management side. I feel like that's a super when people first get into sales, it's it's all like the idea of persuasion and influence, and and it's so much of that. But I, I feel like a lot of the volume is is so much on a time management side that. It, it's like tricky because everyone gets so obsessed with it with the technical but like you're saying right there's just like a 200 $190,000 income gap between like basically time management and mindset it yeah. making all technicals the same so for you what, what are some of like the things that you're doing when you're out there or you're teaching guys like how are you booking time management what, what are some of like your frameworks or strategies that you're using throughout a day so i mean part of it's just you know being dialed in like your Again, it's so, so like cliche, but like your morning routine, right? Mm. Like I'm not the guy that says I wake up at 6 a.m. and um, takes a cold shower and, you know, does X, Y, Z. But I know the things that are going to distract me. I know the things that are going to take my attention away from my main moneymaker, right? Like, so I have to make sure that before my day starts out in the sales field, that I have eliminated all of the little tasks, the little menial tasks if I know the value of my time yeah. and I know it's going to take me an hour to go sift through my emails or whatever, um, I have to make sure that's done and dusted out of the way when I get to my time where it's time to like prospect and sell because mm-hmm. an hour of my time in the morning is not even close to equivalent of the hour of my time in the afternoon yeah. when I get to be in front of prospects. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so, it's just having your systematic like approach to it of whatever makes sense to you, whatever, you know, you can fit in, but understanding like what is the most valuable time and how do I make sure I'm the most dialed in that time window? Hmm. Makes sense. Really just eliminating anything that could pop up in your like high value hours in prepping for that. Absolutely. I like that. Now I know obviously dude, you've had a crazy like, personal sales career that's created a lot of income. And with that, I obviously one of the purposes of this podcast is not only just how to build businesses, but then when you're making money, how do you start to use it? And so I know that's a big conversation kind of like permeating throughout all of Vivint right now with all these people, you know, some stock money in the air, all these different people have this money. At what point did you start as you were making money, you know, start investing or did you make some bad decisions first before you started learning to manage your money? How did you start to like learn that side of it? For sure. So my first summer, they're telling me I can make, you know, dollars $30,000 in four months. And that's kind of the benchmark I talked to my dad about. My dad's like, please don't expect to go make $30,000 in four months. Expect to go learn, you know, how to take rejection on the chin and, and how to just persevere through all that. So, so in my mind, I'm like, I have to clear $30,000. So I, I think I ended up doing just shy of 60. Right. And when I got into the space, I was dead broke. So realistically, I've got less than $60,000 to my name because I'm spending money throughout the time I'm making it. Yeah. Right? So I've got about $50,000 to my name. Um, I have a buddy that's more of a mentor and he, uh, he's like, dude, I have this investment. This guy does some real estate investing. He doesn't typically take on new investors unless they're friends or family, but I'm going to go meet with him. And I think if you come and you're sitting in the meeting with me, there's a chance he might let you invest. So just come along and we'll see what happens. So I go in there with, in my mind, I say, okay, if I've got $50,000 to my name, I can probably 
invest 30. I don't think I need more than 20,000 to get me kind of through. Yeah. You know, I'm just single, you know, renting a room in my friend's basement, like going to college. I don't have a ton of expenses. <laughs> so I go in and, and the guy, he's like, you know what? It's, it's crazy timing that you're asking right now. Cause I right now have somebody that's trying to pull out. So I'm okay to replace this, but I have a minimum of $50,000. So, <laughs> so for me to get into this investment, I have to literally give him every dollar I have. And oh, like stroking that check, man, I was so scared. I'm, all I'm thinking is I just worked my, my butt off for the yeah. last four months to like build this. I've got more money than I've ever had in my life and I'm giving it away right now. Like, is this, is this stupid? Like, and uh, so I had to kind of like live like a broke college kid that I was four months prior again um, over the next few months, just how I had, you know, more sales coming in for the next year and yeah. more commission to replace that. But I remember getting my very first dividend check. He paid out quarterly. So it was a uh, 12% annual, you know, 3% quarter, whatever. And I get my first dividend check, a couple thousand dollars. And it was like a light bulb went off, dude. And I was addicted. And I was like, That's my sick. money can make me more money. And the, the hunger that I had after giving that, that check away was also another lesson that I learned. Cause, yeah. cause had I had, I mean, you know, if I've got $50,000 liquid just sitting there, I'm not pushing, I'm not grinding. I'm not like out hustling to try and go replace my money. And I'm just kind of sitting there stagnant. So essentially like being able to go broke again and go and let my money work for me, go, replace that money and have more come in. It was just like a whole whirlwind. Um, and then I started getting a little trigger happy and I made some <laughs> really dumb investments. Like some real, I, I lost, I went into business with a guy that I remember being at dinner with him and him bragging about cheating on his wife. And, and oh, it was dang. a super big red flag for me. And I'm like, if this guy can do this to his wife, like why wouldn't he screw me over? But, but I was dumb and I went into business with him and I lost a lot of money and, they say the two times you should invest the most aggressively are when you have a lot of excess money or a lot of excess time. And so I didn't have a lot of excess money, but I was like, dude, I've got time. I got time to make money back. I got time to let money grow. I got time to learn lessons on what not to do. That's a nugget. Um, That's a good I, nugget. Yeah. So I just, I like, I look back at it and I'm like, that was, that was really good for me. It, good thing. I only had a little bit of money to play with and I lost, you know, yeah. on retrospect, a little bit of money at the time it was a ton, but on the grand scheme of things, it wasn't a lot, but I, I learned a super valuable lesson of just being very careful of who you go into business with. And, uh, and I learned it early. So I'm grateful for that. Dude, I, I think that's cool though. Cause I, I feel it, people ask me a lot of times like, Oh, how'd you learn to sell? And then, you know, obviously I do a lot of real estate on the side now too. And so how'd you learn this? And it's so interesting because I, I feel like one of my biggest takeaways, and I'd love to hear your, your thoughts on this from doing door to door sales. Like, dude, there is no other way to figure it out in my opinion than just like go bang. You can yeah. study books, you can watch the training portal all you want, but like, dude, if you're not just like willing to go freaking hit, hit, hit before you have the pitch, before you have the presentation, before you know how to close, like you'll never learn. And I feel like that served me so well when I started going into deals where like my confidence level of like, I don't need to know everything to go like try this out, which obviously I've had some similar experiences where you start to then realize like, Oh, that's the shit. Like I really should double check on and triple check. And I should have an attorney look at this and we should have a realtor look at this. Like th yeah, th yeah. these are the ways you vet the deals. But I I'd be interested. Do you feel like the success you had and kind of your learning process in door to door translate into your ability to then go like figure out how to invest? Yeah. I mean, 
again, losing money sucks, right? But I don't yeah. think you're going to find anybody that has made money investing that also hasn't lost money too. Like no, nobody's batting perfect. Nobody's going out and just um, only deals they've ever, they've ever made they've profited. Yeah. You just got to go figure it out. It was an expensive learning curve. I think, I think I could have figured it out without losing as much money. Yeah. Um, but that was just my mentality is I wasn't trying to like just count my, my pennies and dollars. I was just like, go make more of it. There's always more to be made. And if I lose it, I lose it and I can go replace it. No, I, I think that's good. And especially in, in our space too. I think sometimes we see people either get like crazy aggressive on the like max out their lifestyle or they just like hoard on to stuff. I feel like I've seen a lot of both where it's like, dude, I work so hard in the summer. I'm just going to like make sure I'm good or man, I work so hard in the summer. I'm just going to enjoy every dollar of it. Um, Yep. For you, as you've, because dude, you, you started making really good money quick, and then obviously you started getting into investing. Has the way that you view money and your time, like that correlation, how has that developed as you, you know, got into sales, started building teams, started investing? So I feel like I, I went a little bit like this on on my value of money. I mean, early in the in my career, it was just like not having much, not coming from much, never getting to see people mm. other than my friends, you know, enjoy the finer things of life. So my value of money was just so high, yeah. every dollar, right? And very quickly, I started to, you know, like you said, I started making pretty very early on and it just slowly diminished. And all of a sudden I'm like, dude, I can just go print money. I've learned a skill set. I have the resources, like it doesn't matter. And I don't, I'm not even checking my bank account. Like yeah. I'm just being a, like reckless if yeah. I'm being like very frank with it. I mean, I'm in my like mid twenties now and flying around, just doing my, just living my best life. Right. Yep. And the value of money was so low. Um, what happened was I went out and I bought, I, I started getting into real estate. I bought a house for myself, which was four X my mortgage that I was used to. That same year, two more Airbnb properties and paid taxes on my biggest financial year I've ever had without having a lot of real estate knowledge on how to kind of like help myself in taxes. Yeah. So in one year, my, like it's sickening how much my bank account changed. And all of a sudden I was back to like one of the most broke positions I'd ever been. Mind you, I had assets, right? Like yeah. my, my net worth was high but my liquid cash was so scary low, like made me uncomfortable low. And it was like the value of money started to kind of go back up. Yeah. And then I, I understood and I appreciated like, like nothing's guaranteed. Yes. This skill set will translate into, you know, a lot of other things in life. And if, if the company I work for were to go under, I would be able to, to go and make money, but I don't have the cruisy coasty, like paychecks coming in, just kind of doing my thing on autopilot. Mm -hmm. mentality anymore it was this could be taken from me not that i'll ever go broke again but i'm gonna have to go back and grind so yeah the value of money i think it kind of it's is relevant to your current circumstances uh -huh. but it's like the richer you get the more people you get in contact with the bigger investment deals you get brought into the more poor you feel it's that same saying is like the more you learn totally the less you know that. yeah the more you the more you make the poorer you feel because you just start to be introduced to people that just their income just is so much greater than yours. The investments that they're wanting to bring you in on and you're like, well, I have this much to work with. And they're like, That's not even a drop of the bucket, buddy. We're looking for this. Yeah. How do you guys have that type of money? This is crazy. <laughs>
Uh, dude, I, I, that makes a ton of sense to me because sometimes I'll, and I'm sure you get this, like, oh, I'll have a rep come and they're like, dude, it'd be my wildest hopes and dreams to be where you're at. I'm like, dude, I'm broke. Like, I, I'm nobody yeah. in the grand scheme of like the economic game. There are people that do what I'm, my entire net worth is in a month, like easily on repeat. That would be a bad month for them and they're, they're pissed. But yeah. I think that's what's so fun about the economic journey and even just like the money game that I feel like a lot of us have this paradigm or just like sales, I, I feel like it correlates so much. We just put these limiting beliefs based on our exposure of what we've seen, who we know. But as you start to develop skill sets, make investments, play, and your circle increases, your like, lens just gets opened again and again and again of like, dude, it there's all these people and you've kind of broken it enough times that you might not have all of the like route to get to where that guy's at, but you know, it can be done. Yeah. And I, I don't know, like if there's, I know at Vivint there, there's a lot of great resources, but do you feel like being in the sales world that that is giving you access and that skill set to like go find the right mentors? And then when you're taking advice, or you're meeting with people, how do you kind of vet, you know, who, who's the right guy? Who's a real player? Who's not? Yeah, that's a really good question. I mean, it's, it's easy for me now because the people that I take the most advice from are people I've been in business with yeah. for 10 plus years, right? Like they've had time and time again to prove to me that they have one, the knowledge and two, my best interest at hand. So mm. it's, it's tough, man. Like, like I said, I just had to learn the hard way of who not to trust. And at this point now, like, my rule is I don't invest in something I don't understand enough to be my own like advisor. Gotcha. And there's not a lot of marketing or not a lot of uh, opportunities, I guess, in the market that I fully understand. Um, for me, like I've gone through lots of learning curves and learned the hard way in the Airbnb space. And so I'm to a point now where I don't really need anyone else's advice. I don't need to lean on anyone's knowledge. I don't need to trust anyone. I know myself what works and what doesn't, and I'm okay to lose because it's my own fault yeah. if I don't. So I, I kind of stick to what I know, and um, I don't try to get too creative and too fancy with it. I've just recently had an opportunity to do an investment, which on paper just like sounds almost too good to be true and very safe, and I have people that I know and trust that are involved in it. And I didn't, I didn't do it because I don't understand it well enough to be my own advisor. And so mm. I just kind of was like, I, I don't know. I, I don't know if I feel comfortable doing that. I know I could go take this, the same amount of money and put it into something I do know very well, which is real estate. Yeah. Even though right now is not a great time to invest in it. I know what I'm working with. I know how to mitigate my risk. I know what my margins are. And if it works, it's on me. And if it doesn't, it's on me. That, dude, I think that that's a huge takeaway. I think a lot of people, if you're, if you're listening, like, dude, pull out some notes and write down like that level of discipline that you just described, right? These are people, you know, people who've done deals with in the past, but you, you have that rule. And I think this is where people get screwed, right? This is where people like get into situations where they shouldn't be. They just get way over leveraged because they're just, they try to take something on at a FOMO. And like, I've had a mentor yeah. of mine that like FOMO is the worst investing you can do. And like, if you're yeah. moving on FOMO, like, you're really like putting yourself in a dangerous, like that's where you're almost just like in gambling mode. It's just like, oh, I can win it back. I can win it back. I can win it back. Yep. You might as well go to Vegas and just get on the tables, man. Yeah. But like you being able to say like, dude, I don't understand enough. Like that's my rule. If I can't be my own personal advisor, then I'm just not going to do it. Um, that, that's a, that takes a lot. 
do you feel like that was just learned from doing some other deals or that's kind of just like innately been who you are? I've lost money on, I would say like decent chunks of money on four different occasions. Mm -hmm. And all four of those were things that I did not know much about. Gotcha. I had to fully just trust the person I was going into business with. And it's not, I mean, one of them was like red flag. Why'd you even do business with this guy? You could have seen that coming, but the other three weren't. Yeah. The other three were like, very trustworthy, like intelligent people. Mm -hmm. Um, but I just, I didn't understand. So I didn't know the right questions to ask, which is huge, right? Like yeah. if you don't even know what questions to ask mm. that, that like, that's your first, first sign. And I'm not saying that like, you don't ever invest in anything you're not an expert on, but go figure more out about it. Right. Yeah. Like there's plenty of avenues to go and educate yourself, go and do that first. Um, and, and then, you know, there's always going to be another wave. There's never just going to be, this is one time only. If something comes across your, you know, your desk and it's something you're interested in investing in, but you don't understand it, there will be more opportunities, but take it upon yourself. Go learn about that. Mm -hmm. Go figure out what questions to ask, who to ask, what to ask, when, all of it, yeah. why. And then when the next similar opportunity comes by, like you at least know what you're looking at. Mm-hmm. I, that one, that that's a huge takeaway, right? Like there's always another deal. There's always another real estate deal. Yeah. There's always another property. There's always another investment. There's always another startup. There's always another unicorn or opportunity or angel investment. Like if you hear about it, something that I've found super helpful. I, I don't know if you've ever like heard of the term funnel hacking. <laughs> Anytime I get yeah. super interested in some topic of investment that I'm like, dude, I don't know anything about this. I'll literally just go personally put myself on like every email list of any person I can find that does that and just try to see the marketing and the sequences and get in their webinars and just be like, I don't even know what, it, what you said is such a huge piece. I don't think people like, if you don't know what questions to ask, you, you don't understand it enough. And so like you need to go get exposed enough to the information that you at least know what questions should I be asking? What's the lockup? What's the term? Who's doing the financing? Who's the key players? You know, where's the location? What's the demographic? Whatever it is, like you need to have some like keyed up information that you've at least been exposed to before you jump into something. But something I also learned, and again, the hard way is if you don't have a ton of money, you've got some money. There's, there's levels to this, right? There's a totem pole. Totally. The best deals are coming to the guys at the top of the totem pole. Mm -hmm. By the time it gets to you, by the time it gets to you, they've already gone through all the smart people that backed out, that aren't down. By the time it gets to you, now they're just looking for bottom of the barrel, someone that they can sucker. Yeah. Right? And so if you don't have a lot of money to gamble with and you can't like lose this money, you're probably at the bottom of the totem pole and you're probably getting leftover deals. Dude, so. that is such a golden takeaway. <laughs> and I know we've talked about that before. I'm so glad you said that though, because so many people start making a little bit of money and somebody that doesn't really know them. And they're like, man, I have this crazy opportunity. I'm like, dude, if this guy doesn't know you and you're not worth a ton of money, what is the likelihood that you're the first person he came to? Pretty no. slim. Like, I hate to bust your ego, but like, it's pretty slim. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. The smart people already said no, and that's why it's in front of you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, dude, I, I do want to backtrack a little bit just as we're kind of finishing up. I, it, we would be remiss to talk about if we didn't cover this. Obviously, you've had a crazy career as a sales rep, but you've built incredible organization at Vivint, and it's continuing to develop and grow. Uh, we would definitely want to get some of your just scaling and leadership principles that you've realized because I think 
a, a ton of people in the sales space and especially in the direct, you know, door to door where you're basically building your own business. The sale to the customer is, is very different than like leading and running sales teams and, and breaking mm -hmm. and scaling. So what are some of the, the key things that you learned as you're building teams that really like key lessons or takeaways that actually helped you scale into teams and ultimately escape. Like you built a business at Vivint that you now own and like, you're not working in every day. Yeah. Um, and it took me a while, dude. It was, it was almost like a compound interest effect of, you know, my first six years trying to build even a, a team that was sufficient that it could split mm. and be self-sufficient right? Like it took six years to get there. And then over the last four, two teams turned into seven teams. Wow. So, um, it's, it's the compound interest of just one that was me just like staying patient, but going back to the very beginning, when I, when I told you having that, that mindset of, I could be here mm. five to 10 years. So I'm going to make my decisions as if I am. Yeah. I started like taking a little bit of, of a pay cut by, by pushing out my most reliable leaders and backfilling their organization where if I, if I was just in this for two years, right? Mm -hmm. Like I would never push them away because all that's doing is taking away my own margin. Yeah. And so being able to have that long-term vision of, and being patient because no, not a lot of people get to where I'm at in, you know, less than six, seven years. That's, that's the outliers, right? The kid ever, like, those right? Type like of guys. your position True. is unique ever. That, I mean, yeah, but, but especially not in, you know, less than a decade. So yeah. it takes a lot of patience. And just for me, like knowing that I've got to, knowing that I've got to, um, I've got to just wait this process out to where it can come full circle and, and being willing to take a little bit of a one step back to go three steps forward mm. type mindset of being able to branch guys off and, and backfill their resources, making sure that they have like almost that they're overpaid right? Like the guys need to be almost overpaid and have more access to resources than they probably deserve to have because I need them sticky because my organization does not grow without them. Hmm. Um, so just taking care of my core guys, essentially, I would, I would say is probably my biggest takeaway. That's it's interesting. Cause I, it, it is, it's so real. And I feel like obviously I'm still figuring this out in, in a lot of capacities. So it's like, I'm picking, I know I've picked your brain on this a handful of times over the last <laughs> six years, but just as you're bringing dudes out, when you, when you do split those teams and you know, you're kind of taking that leap of faith, what is it that helps you identify like, this is the dude that is, like this point is, is the point that we need to push this person. Like we need to elevate this guy. And then how do you instill in that person? You're ready for this. Like you, you need to step up to this, this task. In our, in our industry, there's a lot of things that you can't really monetize the value to. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, we, we get paid for production. That's it. Accounts. That's it. Nothing else. But there's work you have to do that you can't really put a dollar amount to being willing to like help train guys, being willing to, you know, be involved in meetings and, and spending time that there's no direct pay. Like whether you show up to that meeting or you don't show up to that meeting, you're not paid any more or less. Yeah. It may translate to higher production later. It may translate to accounts brought into your organization, maybe, but how do you really quantify did me showing up to these trainings and participating in XYZ activity really give me accounts that you can't, right? And so you have two different types of people. You have types of guys that, that want to be compensated for their efforts, right? They're like, hey, I've been 
you know, role playing with so-and-so I've, I've showed up to this meeting. I've gone to this training. I went on campus and helped recruit. I did whatever, whatever, whatever. And I'm not getting paid anything to do it. That's the wrong guy. The guy you want is the guy that says, can I please be involved in these things? Because I need to learn this because mm -hmm. eventually I'm going to be in the position where I have to do it too. And I'm the one running the show. I don't want to get to that position, the lucrative position and have to learn it at that point. That's a very expensive place to learn it. I want to learn it now. And I don't need to be compensated for it. I just know that I will be compensated for it later. And I will 10x my compensation because I've already figured out how to do the menial tasks. Right. Yeah. And so I had guys that were that were proactive and wanting to be involved and wanting to learn the things that they're not getting paid to do. I'm getting paid to do them because I'm the I'm the manager, I'm the leader, I'm the director. They're not. They want to learn it. And I had my reps that were like, I'm going to do these things or I have been doing these things. I'm just not getting paid for it. How do we work in, in my pay? Hmm. So I'm, I mean, the guys that were willing to do the work without getting the pay to learn the process are now in the position where they're getting paid and they're getting paid 10 X what they would have because they've already figured out how to maximize it. That's cool. There, there's a, a lot of takeaways there. Um, now i just for my own just as as you do break and they they do have that success is it the next tier of like that leverage of how do you get that person to like understand those lessons that you have now what's like your core focus when you're now because now you're probably spending most of your time with what you're just your elite leaders right you're kind of like in executive management mode what's like your key focus to those guys now to learn those things that took you to that next level so I, I have to try to be creative at my position now and how to provide value because most of these guys at one point or another, I was their, their manager in the trenches. So they had a lot right? of time with you personally. Yeah. And, and the, the value that I could create was so hands-on and one-on-one mm. -on -one and personal. I could literally see them struggling. I could take them aside and you know, let them shadow me for a couple hours, whatever, and, and just like, boom, rejuvenate them. That's instant value. They can't argue the value. At this point, it's tough, man. And it's, it's like I'm having to almost change my job description on how to, to create the value, but just being willing to do the stupid little things. And, you know, like I'm flying out on Sunday to Chicago and um, it's, it's to just go knock with some rookie reps. Like, yeah, I'm going to give the training to the rookies. That's what's really going to happen as, you know, like yeah. surface level. Where I'm really providing value though, is to my leader, to be able to take a little bit off of his plate. Mm. And um, above everything else though, is just to show him that I'm in his corner. Gotcha. That's it. That's yeah. like, that's my main goal. Like I'm willing to fly out there and knock with some rookies. Yeah, it'll help the rookies. And yeah, it takes something off his plate. But at the end of the day, what I'm really after is his trust. Mm. To know that I'm in his corner and that when he needs help, I'm gonna be the first guy to as menial of a task as it is to just go and sh let a rookie shadow you and put in a couple deals. Right. Yeah. So, and, and then it's just, if they know that you're willing to work for them like that, they, they want to do the same. They want to return it. And that's when you become a business partner and it's not, I'm the leader and they're my manager. We're business partners. Yeah. That, that's definitely something that, that I've learned. I feel like you see in all the best organizations, yours or, or just anyone at Vivint or any companies as I've had different people on, whenever the CEO executive management position really just is like, dude, we're, we're hand in hand in the partnership here. I'll fulfill the gaps that maybe your skill set personality doesn't have. 
and then you execute at the best that you can, like there's just way more synergy in the team and in the environment. 100%. Love it. Well, dude, just, I know you're busy and you got thousands of people that you need to, you need to hop on calls and train today, but just in closing, not thousands. Not yet. Not yet. <laughs> We're building it. If they ever let the uh, merger happen, uh, puck giant. No, right. <laughs> We've been talking about, it. um, just in closing, I know there's, there's a lot of people that listen to this that, you know, have thought about sales, maybe do sales for Vivint or in a different capacity, people that are hoping to get to the point where you're at, where you really have turned a sales job and skill set into an exited business that you're working on that you own, which is like the dream scenario. And you're in your early right. 30s, which is, is super cool. What is like your kind of like last piece of advice as people are entering this space, what should they do or reprogram into their mentality right now that's gonna help them like at least put them on the path? I feel like I'm just saying the same thing over and over with this. We but need it's it. just have the five to ten year plan. Like that was literally a catalyst moment, like yeah. that catapulted me that I just was like, You're right. Like what's just like you might have every intention of doing it for two three years you're getting your degree in finance you're going to go be a financial advisor like great pretend like that doesn't happen though just pretend that that doesn't play out just just the way you're thinking life usually doesn't yeah and go into this thinking i'm going to be at vivant for a decade make all your decisions make all your planning strategize for it because i swear to you at year four when you've got a big organization already built one, you're probably not going to want to pivot away from it. But two, you totally can. Yeah. You didn't lose anything. You didn't lose anything. So um, you just, yeah, you got to think bigger, longer, bigger, longer. Dude, I, I love that. And I think one of the reasons I, I had some success, I feel like early, that was like one of my like niche factors. Like before I even had the skill set to like train people, I'd come in. I'm like, dude, I'm here. Let's go. Let's build it. And I think I had some of like the business building size and I had to learn the sales side and like find that. But the, the further I go, I know you and I are both like, we're, we're rolled the dice. We're, we're locked in. We're going we're gonna to go run it here for a little bit. So if there's anybody out there, if you live in Dallas, hit up my guy Wyatt. If you're in the, the Midwest, don't contact him. Contact me. We don't want you to work for him <laughs> if you live here. Um, but we're always looking for new talent and new reps. Um, any last words for us, brother? Oh, man, I, I just appreciate you letting me come and, and – chit chat about the money game and um, being able to bounce ideas off of you, man. We've always, uh, we've always just, that's just kind of been our thing, right? Just kind of brainstorming together and hopefully one day we'll be able to merge our, our ideas into something that we can monetize. Oh, we'll be doing something. We're, we're so young. That's what's so fun. And, and probably for you guys, listening, been one of my favorite things, just the, the people you get access to and the friendships you create. Um, I love this space just for, it, it kind of proves people. And so you don't have to like wonder who somebody is and uh, why it's as good as they come. It really is. Where can people keep track of you or follow you? I know you've got like a sales page and then you've got your personal. Yeah, I got a couple Instagrams. Um, my last name is Levine spelled without the E L E V I N. So I've got a personal Instagram of Wyatt dot Levine. And then I got my sales Instagram is Levine underscore the sales life being the sales life. <laughs> love it. Love it. Well, I appreciate it, brother. It's always good. We need to get you out here and go to a Chiefs game soon. Bro, 
stop talking about it. Let's be about it. <laughs> Let's do it. Well, till next time, we'll catch you on the money game. Make sure to like, rate, and review. And we'll be back soon. But in the meantime, hit us up on social media. Real money. Real money. Money is the answer. Y'all be cool. And we'll see you next time on the money game. Money. Money. Yes.